Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman for Swamp247.com. Blake, uh, we're back after uh, a little bit of a break following the weekend. Florida on a bye week this week, obviously. Um, But let's go ahead and get to Florida, Missouri. Um, A little bit of a slow game. I think that's kind of, Blake, what we expected in this one, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously offense, and I can't remember what the stat line was, but it's been several quarters since Missouri's even scored a touchdown. Um, Offense was really their Achilles heel. Um, but their defense, I thought, played well enough. You know, obviously, you didn't play well enough to win the game, but it definitely slowed the game down some. You know, Florida didn't come out and drop, you know, 40, 30 points or anything like that. We didn't really expect that. You know, kind of what we thought, but Florida obviously had enough talent to pull away at the end. Yeah, I mean, if if you were looking at our game thread, uh, you know, throughout the game or, or really even just following Twitter and, and watching Florida fans, you probably felt like, oh, my God, Florida's going to blow a game. Uh, just looking at some of the comments and some of their frustration – um, and, you know, you and I both talked about it going in. We both thought that Missouri's defense uh, was very well coached. You know, Barry Odom's a very good coach. And I think more than anything, you know, the Tigers play very technically sound on defense. I mean, they don't give you much easy. And so for us, we kind of knew we I, we I think we even said in our uh, our preview for the game that, you know, Florida fans need to be ready for this to be a frustrating game offensively. It's fine. Um, but that, you know, that neither of us really felt like it would necessarily end up coming down to the wire or being a close game. Uh, but just that it was going to take a while. You know, it's gonna be, it was going to be one of those things where you have to bang your head against the wall a little bit uh, before you start, start to show some cracks in the drywall. Um, and, you know, eventually Florida got there, and, you know, I thought Florida had a pretty good game plan. You know, the first drive looked pretty crisp. Uh, they come out there and they hit, you know, Van Jefferson on a beautiful back shoulder throw on the first play of the game. So, you know, Florida had some ways to attack Missouri, but I thought, you know, Missouri, for the most part, did a really good job of attacking Florida's weaknesses. And you saw... You know, for the first time in a long time, um, Florida's O-line and pass blocking really, really looked very suspect. You know, they gave up four sacks in the first half. It just seemed like Missouri kind of had Florida's number a little bit. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, Florida's really depth and and the quality of the skill players started to take over that, that they ended up winning that game. But for me, I mean, you know, that's fine. You know, Florida's going to win some games like this. When, you know, when you're playing in the SEC, you're not going to win every game comfortably. And I think... Um, you know, I was just thinking about it the other day, you know, like, cause I was in school back when, you know, Urban Meyer was coach and I know, uh, you were around kind of in that same time frame too, you know, it's hard to win 10 games in this league, you know, I mean, or even Urban Meyer, you know, outside of 2008, 2009, I mean, 2005, they won nine games, 2007, they won nine games. It's like, 
it's not a guarantee that you can win 10 games even when you have one of the best coaches in college football and and honestly one of the most stacked rosters in college football because Urban Meyer was working with a hell of a lot more talent than Dan Mullen has had. Um, so you're going to have games like this, like this against Missouri, where you know it's a little bit slower, it's a little bit uh, more nail biting, and and some of the frustration. I think you know it, it's very understandable given how good of a coach Dan Mullen's been, given how good these receivers have been, given how good Kyle Trask has been. Um, but at the end of the day, um, once the game's over, Blake, I think fans and I don't mean to be preachy here or anything but I I think it's important to kind of step back and look at it and say hey we won that game pretty comfortably you know there was nothing wrong with the way we played that game yeah you know I never thought at any point in the game that you know man Florida this one's going to get away from Florida you know yeah it was slow and it's funny um I actually went and had some wings um and and a couple pitchers during the game getting ready um, and, and I had friends that were texting me like, man, this is terrible. Big Florida fans, you know, they're, they're literally like having panic attacks about this game. And yeah. I thought of the podcast where he said like, man, it's going to be hard for some of these Florida fans to watch because literally my inbox looked like, you know, like a grenade hole. Like they were just so <laughs> angry. Um, you know, this is terrible, blah, 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 blah. Kyle Trask, this Kyle Trask, that, and yeah, you know, I think he stared down some receivers at certain points. You know, maybe not the sharpest of games that he's had. I mean, he's played some really good games. But again, I mean, this guy threw for almost 300 yards on the road. This is a team that has beat Florida. Um, you know, the offensive line was was exposed, you know, even in their pass protection where they've been, you know, pretty great all season. So, you know, I can understand the frustrations. But at no point in the game did I ever think like, man, this one's getting away from Florida. Right. Well, and to, you know, to, to Florida's credit, I guess, Florida made the plays when it needed to. And Missouri didn't, you know, Missouri had a couple chances to really get into that game. You talked about Kyle Trask staring down a guy or two. I mean, that uh, that one series when Emory Jones kind of gets working with the run game and then they put Kyle Trask back in right as soon as they get down to the six yard line. He stares down a guy that could easily been picked off. Uh, There was another one coming out of Florida's own end zone, same side of the field where Kyle Trask threw one. And, you know, the linebacker jumped it and probably should have picked it for six. Um, but Missouri didn't end up making those plays. You know, Missouri got unlucky a little bit, I think, on, you know, the one that Kyle Trask, uh, I mean, sorry, Kyle Pitts kind of wrestled wrestled with the, you know, the safety for, and uh, the refs ended up calling it Florida's ball, and there wasn't enough to overturn it. So, um, you know, it, it's not that the game couldn't have gone the other way. It's sure. just that it didn't, you know, and right. there's going to be some games like that where, you know, it's not pretty, but you get the bounces your way, and you know what? You're looking at another win. You're looking at a six and two, you know, SEC East or, or SEC record, and um, you know, Florida's got to get better. There's, there's no doubt, Florida's got to get better long term. You know, this team is not where Dan Mullen eventually hopes to have them. The, you know, the talent level overall has to get better, but Missouri's not. I don't think Missouri is one of your bottom dweller teams in the SEC East. I think that they've shown enough over the years uh, since they've joined the league that. This isn't a Vandy that you're going to roll over every year, and certainly Florida fans should be well aware of that now. To come out and win by you know a comfortable three score game, essentially at at twenty twenty four six, that's a comfortable win. You know what I mean? That's that's um twenty three six. I think yeah, uh, that was. I mean, that's a comfortable win. That's that's not anything to be upset about. And again, I, I go back to Florida's players made plays when they needed to. You look at Kyle Trask. I thought his decision making on the two touchdowns was terrific. You know, the throw to Josh Hammond that he made it was actually an inside fade. So the ball is supposed to go inside there. Um, but he saw that the defender had kind of the, uh, you know, the leverage on it. And so he ends up throwing it to the outside shoulder and credit Josh Hammond, who uh, we talked to him after the game. He said he actually lost that ball in the air for a second, was able to make a hell of an adjustment and go back and turn to the outside and make that catch for a touchdown on the, the Michael Pirine touchdown. I mean, obviously a hell of a catch getting one foot down. 
Uh, but really, Kyle Trask, you know, notices right off the bat that he's got P. Ryan on a linebacker. And I think even going back and rewatching the game, even the announcers were like, watch this matchup. Uh, he's got P. Ryan on a linebacker. Those are the kind of things that you haven't really seen from Florida's offenses in the past. You know, it seems like Florida is so good at exploiting these plus matchups this year. And Kyle Trask is so good at, at recognizing them that the offense has really been terrific. And Blake, uh, I, I, what can we say about these these veteran skill players, these veteran receivers and these and, and LaMichael Pirine? I mean, these guys have just been tremendous all year long. Absolutely. You know, and I, it's not, you know, just a couple guys or one guy there. It's, you know, they're really spreading the ball around to a lot of guys, you know, to where, you know, yeah, the, the same guy's not going to make this big impact in a game every week. But I, I feel like, you know, maybe it's Freddie Swain this week. You know, maybe it's Josh Hammond this week. You know, I, I think that a lot of these guys are going to be really hard to replace. And I think that's why it's been such a focal point for Florida, this uh, recruiting cycle. Um, you know, to really fill a need at receiver, they have two committed now. They, they would love to sign four total. You know, you still need a running back. You know, obviously there are other guys on the roster at running back, but I, I just think Michael Pirine, yeah, he's probably not had the season he'd like to running between the tackles or maybe on the ground, but I think it's still commendable how he's made an impact for Florida through the air. You know, he's pretty much just been another glorified receiver. So I, I think those guys are going to be really hard to replace. Um, you know, obviously Florida's game plan this year has to been attack people through the air. And I think that's a smart route whenever you have all these weapons out there. So I think it's interesting kind of for the future of Florida football, you know, maybe some of these guys, you know, Trevon Grimes, um, you know, Kadarius, Tony, some of these guys that come back, you know, I, I think whenever you start to kind of look at, you know, where do we sit in this roster after all these guys leave? Because, you know, there are going to be some guys who graduate, you know, there's no decisions on the fence for everybody. So I think at this point, it's going to be really hard to replace some of these guys just because they've just flat out made plays for Florida all year. Well, I think the thing that people don't necessarily always realize about P. Ryan is just how well-rounded his game is. I mean, you're watching even – and I know Florida had issues in pass pro in the first half, but watch him in pass protection in that first half, man. He is absolutely terrific about scanning the you know, scanning the formation, finding the guy that he needs to pick up, and then actually making the block. And that's something that for running backs is really, really hard to do. You don't see a lot of guys that are exceptional at that at the college level, and he absolutely is. And then you talk about, like you said, the pass-catching ability. I mean – He's third on the team in receptions with 32. So, I mean, Florida is using him a bunch. And I'll tell you firsthand, and I've said this throughout fall camp, I've said this, you know, in spring ball, Florida doesn't have a running back on the team that has anywhere close to the hands of LaMichael Pirine. And so when he's gone next year, that's going to change your offense a little bit. You're you're not able to do quite as much when you don't have that guy. And, and maybe you can get Kadarius Tony involved a little bit more out of the backfield and kind of make up for it that way. But look, LaMichael Pirine, Florida fans are going to miss him a lot more than they think, you know, and the O-line may get better and they may be able to block better for running backs. And, and maybe we kind of gloss over what Pirine did this year, but he's a tremendous player all around. And I think all of those guys, the receivers, especially, um, you know, these these veteran receivers are really, really good. I mean, forget about production. All right. When we're talking about Van Jefferson, Swain, Hammond, Cleveland, Pirine, we're talking about 138 catches so far this year. So that's that's a huge amount of catches. There's only 120 for the rest of the guys on the team, okay? And that's with Kyle Pitts being a monster, with Trayvon Grimes being pretty darn good this year. Um, so you're Even losing Copeland. A, yeah, I mean, you're, you, you've got some guys, but you're losing a huge chunk of production. I think what fans probably don't realize is how good these senior receivers, Jefferson, Swain, Ham, and Cleveland, how good those guys are at understanding the entire playbook and understanding how to read a coverage, how to run their option route accordingly. And part of the reason Florida's offense has been so good is because Kyle Trask knows how to read a coverage and hit those option rounds. You know, it's always a two-way communication there where 
not only does the quarterback have to know based on the coverage where he's supposed to throw the ball, but the receivers have to know where they're supposed to break their routes based on the coverage. And if one of those guys doesn't get it right, you end up with a busted play. And, you know, I don't think Felipe Franks was quite as good at doing that. Now, he was progressing a lot, but Kyle Trask is really good at that. The, the interesting thing for me next year is going to be to see how far did Jacob Copeland and Kyle Pitts and guys, you know, those younger guys come along because that's not an easy skill to be able to read a coverage and break your option route the right way. Um, and we've seen times where Kyle Trask is yelling at Kyle Pitts or even Jacob Copeland because they did it the wrong way and it nearly resulted in, you know, a pick or something. Um, going back to uh, which, which, who did, who did Florida play before Missouri? It was Vanderbilt, right? Yes. So the, the pick Kyle, Kyle Trask threw against Vanderbilt, the one that he tried to hit Pitts on a, what it looked like a seam route, it's cover four. Vandy's dropping four in coverage. Um, and Kyle Pitts ends up running the seam route. You don't run a seam route against cover four. What you're supposed to do there is break it off to a post. And you saw Kyle Trask try to throw the post, and it's easily read and picked. Those are the kind of things that you never see Van Jefferson, Freddie Swain, Josh Hammond, or Tyree Cleveland mess up on. Um, and it's part of the reason Florida's offense looks so crisp, and it seems like they've always got a guy open. It's because those guys know how to adjust their routes. For me, it's going to be super, super interesting to see how quickly you know Florida's guys can pick that up next year. And Blake, you talked about guys having some decisions to go pro early. I think Trey Graham's a guy that's going to seriously think about the NFL. Yeah, I think you have to if you're him. You know, <clears throat> maybe not this top tier production that you know. He's going to be this guy that rises up these, you know, these draft boards. But I think whenever you send a guy like that, it, let's just say hypothetically here, if, if he does declare, you know, a guy like that with his size and his speed, you know, he's going to kill it at the combine. He can easily move up, you know, boards. And I think that that's what a lot of these guys think about. It may not be, you know, their stats. You know, some teams are going to look, you know, they, they look at so much tape. So I think he's one of those guys that you're going to have to really seriously think about. And I think Kadarius Tony, had he not have gotten injured in the year, I think he'd be another guy that possibly we'd be talking about in that same sense. Um, you know, these are just some guys that have some decisions to make. So I, I think that, you know, getting those guys back for Florida would be big because obviously there's some talent on the roster for next year, considering if these guys stay, but it's nowhere near this quality of depth they have this year. Right. And, and, you know, when you're talking about a guy like Grimes too, and you, you're losing four of your closest buddies from that same position group, that's when you always get nervous about the juniors jumping. It's like, you know, do they want to come back and, and spend a year where, you know, sure, they know the younger guys on the team, but they're not, I mean, these are not their roommates. They're not the guys that they go out with all the time necessarily. Um, so that, they, you know, that could be another factor there. But, um, you know, I, it's a real credit to, to Florida. And, and I think Billy Gonzalez der, deserves a, a real tip of the cap for just what he's done with this receiver group because they've been so good. And, man, after watching Florida go through, you know, what, seven different receivers coaches in the eight years before Gonzalez or something like that, um, Florida just hadn't gotten good play. I mean, it, you would get the good individual player, you know, a Demarcus Robinson or an Antonio Callaway, but across the board, it just never seemed like, you know, Florida was this well coached and, and had this many guys that were deep enough to be reliable like this. And man, it's part of the reason Florida's looked so great this year. So, uh, Blake, let's, uh, let's go ahead and hit a quick commercial break. I want to talk a little bit of, uh, you know, some bowl scenarios since Florida only has one, one game left. Uh, let's dive into that. We'll probably get a quick look at, you know, the recruiting structure for Florida's week coming up on a bye week. And then we'll, we'll have a brief bit of hoops talk right after this break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Uh, we just kind of got done breaking Florida Mizzou. And actually, Blake, you know what? I had one more point going back to the, the receivers being veteran. Um we kind of asked Dan Mullen about this after the game because Florida really, I mean, still does not have a traditional run game. Uh, you know, they manufactured a little bit more with Emory Jones this weekend and Kadarius Toney now being healthy. I think they're getting a little bit out of that. Um, but one thing that's that struck me this weekend, I was talking to a colleague, um, and I guess he, um, you know, the, the, the topic could kind of come up of how is Florida winning with a traditional run game. And, I, and apparently um, a couple different college coaches around the country are basically wondering the same thing. They're like, we have no idea how they're winning games, basically, without any semblance of a run game and being so, you know, uh, so one-dimensional. So I, that just kind of made me laugh. But it was also like, man, I like, I know because, you know, usually you can defend a team that's only doing one right. thing. By now, we've somebody seen, has figured something out at this right. point in the season. And what's crazy is we've seen some of the better teams kind of get a handle on it. Like, you know, Georgia, I thought, you know, had a pretty good plan against it. Um, but really, Florida was still competitive in that game and against LSU. And you're talking about these two of the top four teams in the country. Um, so, you know, again, just just a little bit mind-blowing what Dan Mullen's been able to do. And again, credit to this this veteran group of skill players, you know, because I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, and it obviously expands Dan Mullen's ability to to be creative with what he calls and really trust Kyle Trask to go out there and find the open guy. But uh, I thought that so was who's a backup too. You know, I, I mean, who'd yeah. have thunk that this would have happened with a backup? You know, I'm sure a lot of Florida fans at the Kentucky game, whenever Franks goes down, they're like, "Oh man, this is all oh, the season's over," and here we are. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's a credit to you know Mullen being able to have guys ready and, and being able to coach things in a way that guys understand it. And again, same thing for Gonzalez; they've been able to coach, you know, how to read a coverage and how to break your option route off in a way that these guys have really all fully grasped it. And uh, so I don't know. I just thought that was interesting that, you know, apparently even other college coaches are like, how the hell is Florida doing this? And uh, I mean, it's true, man. It's it's like, you know, and I go back to like the frustration of like during the Missouri game. It's like, yeah, like we get it. It's frustrating to not succeed on every drive. But like that's college football. Like that's the SEC. Like welcome to college football. And you know what? Florida still won by 17. Like, uh, you know, I mean, it's, sometimes you just got to step back and kind of appreciate the job that that Florida's coaches have done. And believe me, I'm I'm not at all what you'd call one of those trust the coaches type. Um, I happen to be in in this situation with Dan Mullen because I think he's a really good coach. Um, but you know, you know, you know me. I mean, I've I've been doing this for ten years now. I've seen bad coaches. I've called it out when I've thought they were bad. And um, I, I just think it's important to keep perspective. Man, it is really hard to win ten games. It's even harder to win 10 games when you've got no running game. You've got a very poor offensive line that everybody can see is poor. Uh, so, I don't know. Tip of the cap to Florida's coaches. For all intents and purposes, it seems like Florida's going to win 10 games this year. Um, I, I don't want to guarantee a win over FSU because, obviously, Blake, you know, anything can happen in these rivalry games. But, I mean, I think both of us would agree Florida's probably going to win 10 games. I would agree, yeah. I think that's possible. And I think the chance to win 11, you know, let's say Florida does win against FSU, they win against the bowl game. 
Um, it's hard to make that jump from, you know, f- going from four and eight to 10 wins. That's an easy jump. You know, that that's obviously something that, you know, caught a lot of attention. But what's really hard is going from, you know, nine to 10 wins or 10 wins to 11 wins. So I think that, you know, you have some positivity there um, and, and you have to really like where Florida's at least what Dan Mullen has showed as a coach at Florida, you know, especially this year where he's kind of had to figure things out with a backup quarterback, no rushing game. Um, so, yeah, I think it's pretty commendable the job he's done. Um, I, losing some of these veteran guys down the road, you know, obviously we don't really know how the future is going to go. But, uh, you know, I think that if you have Dan Mullen, you have him a good game plan. You know, there's no really no telling what he can get past, even if there is youth on the roster next year. Well, I can tell you went to, uh, you know, several of Dan Mullen's spring speaking tours with that uh you don't know how hard it is to get from, uh, you know, nine wins to 10 wins, 10 wins to 11 wins, because that was Dan Mullen's whole thing. He's like, you know, our guys think it might just be easier to just improve one game. Like, it's easy to go, you know, four wins to, to 10 wins uh, than it is to go from 10 wins to 11 wins. So uh, that's I'm funny Dan. that you brought that back I'm Blake up. Mullen. <laughs> yeah, you've been brainwashed, man. But uh, no, no, it's true. So, well, to win to win 11 hopefully for Florida, it's in a New Year's Six game again. And I think that's a real possibility for Florida. Blake, I wrote a pretty um, extensive piece on Swamp247.com yesterday, just kind of outlining Florida's, uh, you know, bowl possibilities, I would say, uh, particularly when it comes to the New Year's Six. So if you haven't already checked that out, I encourage you to check it out. Um, I I laid it out pretty well, I think, um, in terms of all the different rooting interests Florida fans should have in terms of making a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, what are some of the pitfalls that could happen if this team loses, that team loses? Um, and it's probably easier to see it on paper than maybe to listen to it in the you know the, the podcast form that we're about to discuss. But Blake, essentially, there's three options for Florida when it comes to the New Year's Six. Um, you know, there's the automatic SEC tie-in to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, there's a potential SEC tie-in to the Orange Bowl, and then there's the at-large, the only at-large bid this year in the Cotton Bowl. Um, so right now, as things stand, Florida is probably in the middle of those three bowls. Uh, and I listed them, you know, from top to bottom in terms of, you know, uh, which one is higher up on the chain. Um, so without getting too complicated for Florida to make the sugar bowl, there has to be two sec teams in the playoff at this point, you know, with LSU being undefeated, uh, Alabama only having one loss, Georgia only having one loss, barring two upsets, I would say here in the final weekend of the season, you know, I think Georgia would have to lose a game before the SEC championship and Bama would have to lose to Auburn to have any chance of Florida making the sugar, unless there are two SEC teams in the playoff. And the reason for that is the, the sugar bowl automatically takes the highest ranked SEC team that is not in the college football playoff, you know? So if there's one SEC team in the playoff, say it's LSU, the next highest ranked SEC team would get into the sugar. Most likely that's Bama. If they went out they're 11 and one, um, but at that point, Florida no longer has the Sugar Bowl as an option. They're looking at the Orange Bowl. Uh, so for Florida, I, I think, Blake, a couple key things. Um, what's the one team, I guess, uh, you know, based on what we've kind of looked at, that Florida can would really not want to see lose at this point? I think you have to have Ohio State win out if, if you're looking at Florida. You need those guys to win out, um, I think, to really help their chances, which is possible. I, I think what the biggest game left for them is the Michigan, and obviously they have the Big Ten championship game. So oh, I, I think Penn for State Florida. This weekend. Yeah, oh, yeah. Penn State this week. So they have some big games. So Florida yeah, really needs to bank tough. on these guys. Sure. To, they need to bank on these guys to win out. And the, and the reason for that is obviously, you know, Ohio State right now is projected into the playoff. Um, and not having a loss right now, even if Ohio State loses a game, um, you know, they could potentially still, they, they're still very, very likely to end up in a New Year's Six. Uh, so for right now, you know, with Ohio State, you know, being in the playoff as an undefeated team, what would happen is the next Big Ten team 
the next highest rated Big Ten team or ranked Big Ten team would end up slotting into the Rose Bowl. And so what that does is that takes, you know, potentially a two-loss Penn State, a two-loss Minnesota, or a two-loss Wisconsin, or I guess, yeah, I guess, yeah, Michigan has already got two losses, so they wouldn't necessarily be in that mix if Ohio State won out. Um, but it keeps one of those two-loss teams into the, it puts one of them into the Rose Bowl. And so what that does, it takes them out of the mix for the potential Orange Bowl slot that Florida would potentially be vying for. And the, the way the Orange Bowl slot works, so people know, is the Orange Bowl uh, has to take an ACC team. Okay, so if Clemson or Notre makes, Dame, count, counting Notre Dame, well, ACC, well, let me right? let me work through that. No, no, not exactly. Ah. So the way the way that works is the the ACC tie-in essentially is if Clemson's in the playoff, the Orange Bowl has to take an ACC team um, and not Notre Dame. Okay, not Notre Dame, but just an ACC team. So if there are, it's either the highest ranked ACC team or if there are no ranked ACC teams at the end of the year. Uh, the Orange Bowl gets to pick their ACC team. Okay, now on the other side, you could potentially get another Dame. So the second team in there is either Notre Dame. It's the highest ranked between either Notre Dame, the Big Ten, or the SEC. And so that's where Florida could potentially fit into the Orange Bowl. So the reason you don't want Ohio State losing is because it would knock either Ohio State, who's going to be ranked ahead of Florida almost certainly with one loss, or you know a two-loss Penn State team with a win over Ohio State, say. Um, that would keep them in the mix for that Orange Bowl slot where they could be ahead of Florida. And so that could potentially bump Florida down to the Cotton Bowl, where all of a sudden in the Cotton Bowl, not only are you competing against Notre Dame and any high-ranked Big Ten teams, uh, you're also competing against you know the Big 12 and the Pac-10, or the Pac-12. Uh, so there's just more teams in the mix for the Cotton. So what Florida wants is essentially for these teams that are highly rated right now to win out. So you want Ohio State to win out. You want Clemson to win out. Um the the only real danger, I think, for Florida in terms of other conferences when it comes to the Cotton Bowl is probably the Pac-12. Because right now you're sitting there with one loss Oregon and one loss Utah at 6-7. and seven. If both of those teams win out in the regular season, which is a very real possibility um, given who they're playing, then they would both meet in the Pac-12 championship game as one-loss teams, and the loser of that game could stay ahead of Florida. So that's not a huge deal if Florida ends up getting into the Orange Bowl. But for whatever reason, if Florida doesn't get to the Orange Bowl, all of a sudden that Utah team or that Oregon team that lost in the Pac-12 championship game could take Florida's spot in the Cotton Bowl. So that's something to watch out for potentially. Um, Again, the easiest way to say this, Blake, two SEC teams in the playoff. That's what Florida wants more than anything, whether that's LSU winning out and beating Georgia. And so Bama slips in as the number four. That works for Florida. Or potentially Georgia you know, and LSU both went out and then Georgia beats LSU. And both of those guys get in as one-loss teams. I think if two SEC teams make it in, Blake, I'm very, very comfortable in saying that Florida will be in the New Year's Six. Um, I'm reasonably confident that Florida will be in um, as long as Ohio State wins out and there's not any major other upsets. Um, if you get to the point where uh, only one SEC team is in and Ohio State loses, I think things could get dicey for Florida in terms of the New Year's Six. So it looks like Florida fans are going to have to be cheering for the Buckeyes and uh, Alabama. Go Buckeyes. Buckeyes. I I think it's not a big deal for Florida if Bama loses. Um, You know, two SEC teams in the playoff is great. Um, So in an ideal world, if Bama loses with two out now, I think Florida could slide ahead of Bama. And so that may end up being a wash. Um, But because Bama still has a playoff chance without uh, an Auburn loss, you know, it, it's kind of either way there. I don't, I don't know that Bama necessarily should be a big rooting interest for Florida. 
But, uh, Blake, again, I, I wrote about that extensively on Swamp247.com, and I know it can be, get very in the weeds, again, especially when you're, you're talking about it and you don't have it on paper in front of you. It's kind of maybe hard to understand. Um, so I encourage everybody, if you haven't checked it out, check it out on Swamp247.com. Uh, the piece is titled Breaking Down UF's New Year's Six Chances and Rooting Interests. So be sure to check that out. Blake, uh, real quickly before we go, I wanted to talk a little bit of just general outline, maybe not even necessarily specific prospects, but what does Florida's recruiting plan look like during this bye week? Yeah, with the bye week, it's going to be a little bit like uh, you know the last bye week. Florida will practice during the week. Uh, it should be Monday, Tuesday, th- uh, Wednesday. They should be having practice, and then th- Thursday and Friday, uh, they'll they'll be starting to kind of get out and about and go see some prospects. Friday, you know, usually the general thing is to be on the sidelines of a game. Um, that's at playoffs a lot, at least in the state of Florida. I think just about every other state, at least around here. Um, is also in the playoffs, or at least starting the playoffs this week. So they'll, they'll be pretty busy on Thursday and Friday getting out and about. Uh, they saw a bunch of top targets at the last bye week that they had before the Georgia game, so I would assume a lot of these other, and maybe some of these stragglers or some of these other top targets that Florida wants to keep hammering on, they'll be going to see these guys the last two days of the week. So uh, you know we'll have plenty of coverage of that on Swamp247.com. Uh, I'll be putting together some stops as the week goes along. Um, it, it should be a little transition as we get to there, though. And Blake, this is obviously, I mean, it's kind of nice having for Florida's coaches having a bye week this way late in the season. When you say, given given the early signing day, and you know these visits probably matter more than if you had a you know a bye week, say you know in in October before the Georgia game. No, sure. You know you have this week, obviously. Uh, you know, kind of getting late down in there, but also another thing too. Um, you know, obviously Florida would have loved to been in Atlanta, but you get that weekend now of December 6th to, to host official visitors and Florida's going to have quite a few on campus that weekend. So, um, yeah, it's probably not ideal for Florida to not be playing in Atlanta, but at least they get to bring in some top targets that weekend. So yeah, you get a bye week this weekend, you know, you can kind of go around and strut that top 10 ranking, you know, Florida state, Miami, obviously having their own issues. Um, some of these other teams having to play a game, you know, they're not going to be out on the road. So it is a little bit of a key point here for Florida, at least this late in the season, have this bye week to kind of, you know, go out and, you know, kind of strut what they've done this season, and, and then both set top ten rankings. Some of these guys that uh, you know are seriously looking at Florida at this point. Blake, are most guys uh, are most guys already locked into official visits in the uh, you know the early December weeks, or is this a situation where Florida may get on the road and there's two or three guys they're trying to convince to take officials? You know, in those first couple weeks of December. Yeah, you know, a lot of guys right now have locked in, but there are some guys. You know, maybe an Avante Williams, um, some of these other top target guys that haven't quite set an official visit to Florida. But it's looking likely that they will be taking one. I think at this point you can kind of go in, um, you know, let the, let yourself be seen, shown that they're a top target. You know, you can't talk to these guys whenever you go drop in and see them. But, you know, you can continue to communicate with these, some of these guys. Um, a lot of coaches, you know, may, maybe shoot a DM after the, you know, hey, good seeing you, blah, blah, blah. Let's get an official visit going together. So while there are quite a few that are set, and a lot of these are, are set um, and shown on uh, swamp247.com, if you go to the recruiting tab, there is a, an official visit sp- a little, an extra little sub tab that you can go in and see some of these visits that I've already put in on profile. So, yeah, a lot are set, but there are some that the coaches are still fighting for. Um, you know, especially a lot of these, you know, Florida State kids that are, you know, kind of looking around, maybe have one foot out the door. You know, some of these other schools that maybe aren't having the season they want, or, or some of these guys that have have started to give Florida more of a look as they've won ten get or they're approaching ten wins on the season. So I think at this point, yeah, you can shake some out, but I think for the most part, a lot of these have been set. All right, awesome. Well, Blake, we were going to get to a little bit of hoops talk, but I'm looking at the time, and uh, you know, a lot of people have told me one of the things they love about our show is we're short and to the point, and we keep it short. So I think what we'll do is let's bump the hoops talk. We're going to do. We had already talked about doing a hoops podcast on Friday, uh, Friday evening. So it'll probably be like you know Friday, Friday evening, Saturday morning. You'll be able to get to it online. Um, 
obviously Florida's got a lot to work through. You know, at two and two early in the season has been a very disappointing start to the season. Uh, I have plenty of thoughts on Mike White, you know, in year five of his tenure. But what we'll do is we'll hold off. We'll we'll wait until they get, you know, the first couple games of this Charleston Classic in where they play St. Joe's and then either Miami or Missouri State. And then Friday, Friday afternoon, Friday evening, we'll go ahead and bounce that around, uh, give you my ideas on, on kind of where the program's at. We'll have a little bit more of a baseline to establish, you know, to see if these, especially the shooting trends continue, you know, where this is just a poor shooting team. Or, you know, the first four games were a little bit of an aberration. One interesting note I did see, uh, you know, if Florida does end up playing Miami, uh, Keith Stone, you know, obviously transferred down there and was eligible immediately as a graduate transfer. He's coming back from the torn ACL, and I just saw that this week, uh, actually just this morning, I saw he was cleared to play, or practice at least. So I don't know, potentially we could have a uh, Florida versus Keith Keith Stone matchup on Friday, but we'll have to see. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for us today. Like I said, we'll be back on Friday. Since it's the football bye week, that Friday podcast will be a basketball-centric edition. Blake and I will be back. We'll be kicking around Mike White, a little bit of hoops. (laughs) Going to kick him around. Yeah. Get in here, Mike. (laughs) Dribbling around, you know, whatever. Um, But, yeah, so we'll be back, guys, Friday afternoon. We thank you guys for tuning in today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Again, if you want to see the New Year's Six breakdown for Florida, check out Swamp247.com. We've got a pretty extensive post there detailing all the different scenarios that could happen for Florida. Um, hope you check that out and then until until Friday see you guys later thanks for tuning in